0: Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Rain. Today we're talking about a somewhat surprising event. People protesting and scuffling with security guards in the Chinese city of Zhengzhou. Now, Rain has been forecasting that global inflation is posing a threat of recession in the developed world and that economic conditions could lead to unrest as well as security issues. But this kind of event is nearly unheard of in China. That's why I've asked Chase Blazik for more information. He's Rain's Asia-Pacific analyst. Chase, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Good afternoon, Emily.
1: So basically, what is the lowdown on these protests? Maybe you could give us some background here?
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, this is, uh, as you noted, uh, this is notable for China because they don't normally, uh, normally get this big protests. So this was, uh, by some estimates, hundreds of Chinese people Um, Some have even said upwards of a thousand uh, outside of the local branch of the central bank in the central Chinese city of Zhengzhou. Um, They were quite upset because four local banks have frozen their funds. These are depositors of the banks, uh, and those funds have been frozen for about three or four months now. Um, So obviously, you can imagine if your life savings were just frozen one day, uh, you'd be pretty upset about it. They've been doing protests since at least May Uh, some in June as well. This is the first time they got violent. Uh, So there were hundreds of people there holding up signs, calling on Chinese leadership to do something about this. Uh, The police showed up um, in what many estimate is about a three-to-one ratio, so potentially as many as a 1,000 police and or other security forces there. Um, And officials, you know, used a bullhorn, told them to disperse. This is illegal. Go away, basically. Uh, And then very soon after... um, a group of hundreds of uh, it's it's hard to tell who they were. Um, they could have been plainclothes police or or uh, gang members because sometimes the government cooperates or co-ops with them to to break up protests. Um, but either way, hundreds of these individuals in in white shirts and black pants uh, rushed to the protesters, uh, started attacking them, hitting them, dragging down them down stone steps, and throwing them in vans and detaining them. Um, they were many of them were later released, but they're still saying, Uh, They're being watched and they're being harassed by these people um, these days. So this is, uh, as you noted, uh, quite notable uh, because protests actually aren't that uncommon in China, but they're usually very small scale and about things like, you know, labor disputes or land disputes, civil affairs that generally get resolved without too much violence like this.
1: Chase, I really want to get into what these protests tell us about police procedures and protesting procedures in China. But first, could you just give me a brief understanding of why their money was frozen?
0: Yeah, that part is still honestly a bit shady to me as well. But from what it appears, there was a major investor that invested in all four of these banks um, and utilized deposits for um, some sort of risky investment. Um, The the details on that are still coming out, the government's conducting an investigation on it, but these sorts of business to bank uh, connections are very common in China, and there's quite a bit of poor investments going around. Uh, Real estate investments, uh, property bubbles, uh, there's been peer-to-peer lending in the past, so there's no shortage of ways people can get into hot water by investing other people's money. And it appears uh, that is what happened here. So the the people who protested are getting news every day saying, well, we're investigating these people, but it might be difficult to get the funds back. And so obviously they're they're, they're quite upset.
1: Well, I would want to protest if somebody took all my money. Listen, uh, let's talk about the police and protesters. What kind of uh, insight can you give me here?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first is that this sort of tactic is not incredibly uncommon in China. The police is seen as protecting the people. And that's sort of part of the Marxist communist background is this is the people's police. And so they should be protecting the people. So what they do usually when there's a big instance like this is the police are not the ones coming in with nightsticks or anything like that and breaking up protests. They either use plainclothes police, which they don't show identification. They don't flash badges or anything. They're just walking around in street clothes or they cooperate uh, and pay off local gangs uh, who have some pretty seedy characters who are willing to go and Uh, assault uh, random citizens for money or or for other favors. Uh, And they use these folks in order to have whoever's seen as cracking down these protesters be unidentifiable, right? Even though, of course, the police are standing by watching this happen and not doing anything to to protect the protesters. But it helps, um, at least in the media's eye, that images aren't circulating of police beating up Chinese protesters. It's just random people in street clothes. So it sort of looks like a brawl. Um, And I should note the other side of this is in those common civil disputes I was talking about, China doesn't always crack down on protests. Sometimes they legitimately try to negotiate labor issues or wage issues. Other times they say, listen, this is not going to get resolved and we're going to use coercion. So they either threaten families or threaten businesses or in the worst cases like this, they use direct violence, but again, through third parties.
1: So as you pointed out that this was a somewhat unique occurrence, what do we know that we can take away from this considering potential social unrest nationwide?
0: Right. So as you said, it's unique. So I don't see these Zhengzhou protests spreading uh, very far. Uh, first of all, they're likely to stay to remain in Zhengzhou because that is the provincial capital of, of Henan province, and that goes back thousands of years in Chinese history. People always go to the capital of their locality and they protest there. Um, and given that these are local bank branches, most of the people who are aggrieved are local to Henan province. But um, their level of discontent is something that is um, well this was quite unique because uh, obviously if you want to get people from zero to fuming mad you just cut off their funds <laughs> their life savings so that's not very common but the general level of discontent that they were feeling um, is quite common in china right now because people are well frankly sick and tired of covid lockdowns and the, the unemployment rate is rising the economy is not looking good Um, So this is the promise that the Chinese government has had with the Chinese people since the CCP, or the People's Republic of of China, was founded in 1949. They said, we will give you economic growth as long as you stay out of politics. So when economic growth starts flagging and people start having issues, there's a real risk that while this particular protest won't uh, spread, by my estimation, other protests or other grievances that, like I said, pop up quite often in China, could boil over much more easily because people just, frankly, have more to be mad about. And as you know, when when protests arise, it's not usually 400 people that have the same exact grievance. It's a core of people who have some sort of grievance, like labor. And then other people from society who have other issues tend to glom on and say, yeah, I'm also upset with the government, but about X, Y, Z, but y'all are protesting, so I'll, I'll go ahead and join you.
1: Well, Chase, all of this is very good to know. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. Chase Blazik is RAIN's Asia Pacific analyst. You can read his analysis in RAIN Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical publication. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Visit us at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R A N E NETWORK.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.